Now you should listen to this because this concerns you. This is about an uh, evil genius in love. Evil genius mind. It woke me up from my sleep and I don't like it. No, you're an evil genius is what you are. If this works, you're, you're some kind of a, a evil genius. Honest to God. Hello and welcome to the Evil Genius Chronicles. I am your little podcast buddy, Dave Slusher. Welcome to the show. This show is being recorded for January 27th, 2023. Just when you thought, just when you thought everything was, huh, now it's, uh. Okay, first the business. The show is not kid safe. The show is Creative Commons licensed, non-commercial attribution, 4.0, unported. The music is by the late great band, The Gentle Readers. They're at gentlereaders.com. Bandwidth is via Cashfly under the kind auspices of Backbeat Media. I do not speak for my day job. It's Googleable if you want to find out who it is. I'm not even going to tell you who it is because I am not representing the brand or any brand, just my own personal brand of whatever in the hell it is that I'm doing here. First, a song. Uh, you may not know. Uh, how much time goes into picking the song? Because I have this long list of potential um, songs I might play. And then on the day, when it's time to sit down, some of the songs uh, are perfectly fine songs or perfectly fine bands. And it just doesn't match how I feel that day. So sometimes they might be at the top of the list and they get passed over 10 times because I just never feel like playing them that day, even though eventually they get played because I'm in the right mood that day. Well, in this case, I took a band that I have played before. The band is Dolly Varden. It is not a play on the uh, country singer from Tennessee. It's a name of a fish. It's a fish species. But uh, they're kind of alt-country-ish. The, the song I'm going to play actually sounds a lot like the general readers to me. But uh, I ha- kind of hunted around. I listened to like 10 or 15 songs from this band, and then I arrived at this one. This is just matches how I feel today. And this is the song trying to live up from the album Forgiven Now. This is Dolly Varden. Oh 
All right, my friends, that was Dolly Varden from the album Forgiven Now with Trying to Live Up. And you can see, uh, I think if you uh, have any familiarity with the Gentle Readers as a band, you can kind of see a through line. It's kind of vaguely alt-country-ish, but also it's got that kind of Bakersfield sound to it. It's got that kind of, I don't know what you call it, the Hollywood Hills. What do you call that? Like Fleetwood Mackie? <laughs> mid 70 like the rumors uh you know self-titled era of fleetwood mac it's just got all of that um so there you go dolly varden i really like that song um and i will also say um really quick note i listened to the episode of i'm in love with that song where um he dissected fleetwood mac's you make love and fun and i guess it was kind of a like semi a tribute to christine mcvee because that is absolutely a christine mcvee song I have never, I've listened to that song. I mean, listen to, you know, rumors and everything on rumors and that era of Fleetwood Mac, the, you know, rumors plus or minus an album, uh, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of times, I have never noticed what a weird structure you make loving fun has because it's verse bridge, guitar, solo bridge, verse chorus, the chorus only happens like in in the last 20 seconds of the song and then fades out. <laughs> it is so odd. And uh, like listening to Brad dissect it, um, it's almost really and truly the bridge is kind of the chorus and the chorus is like an afterthought. <laughs> the whole like the, if I never could believe the ways of magic. That's really the chorus. It's a bridge, but it's a chorus. It's the chorus like chorus or a chorus like bridge. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's just odd. I highly recommend that episode of his uh, show. I, I like his show, but if you want to like, listen to somebody really dig into that with access to the stem file. So you can like isolate tracks that, uh, uh, I'm in, <laughs> I'm way in. Um, I mentioned, uh, on the last show that I was experimenting with using whisper from open AI to transcribe the shows. I am now four years into it. <laughs> it's working on early 2019 right now. Um, an interesting side effect of all this. And th so the transcription is going uh, pretty well. It's doing a pretty good job. Um, a side effect is it is forcing me to take my notes and like all my artifacts from years that I have, you know, uh, been doing, like I have basically nothing for the first 10 year, 10 to 12 years of the show. Um, if I was like writing up notes, I don't even know how I did it. I don't remember or have any artifacts from that. Um, and then from 2015 to like whenever I started using Obsidian, I did it in Evernote. And the formats are all over the place. The, sh the titles are all over the place. It's just a mess. One of the things this is forcing me to do is like standardize. And so suddenly I've got the same name for everything. I wrote a script that just splatted out the names. It said, looks to see if the name's there. And if not, it creates it. Uh, you know, for every folder that was named EGC, uh, you know, with a date in it. And I was like, just the act of like making everything be, um, making everything be uniform is like creating value. So then one of the things that I'm doing now is uh, I can sit down 
And before I talk about something, I can kind of go through the list of topics because it is always a a bummer to me when I listen to a show. Anytime I I listen to a show in the past and it is literally the same thing I just talked about. Like I record a show and then I listen to a show a day later and I realize, oh, that show from six months ago, it's the same topics. I just am repeating myself. So I actually now have a tool with this transcription to kind of mitigate that. I cannot, I will guarantee you will never eliminate it. Nothing can eliminate it. But, uh, it's it's uh it's a good tool in the podcast production uh, toolbox, and also so the other thing that I was doing is I was running it on my Linux laptop, basically maxing out my CPU of my Linux laptop, you know, all day every day, um, and it wasn't didn't make it unusable, but it was noticeable. Like you could feel the machine be laggy, and for example, like when I recorded something, I would have to pause that thing because it's using up you know all of four CPUs. <laughs> All of every CPU on this box. And then I realized, well, wait a second. I have a Linode account. Why don't I create like a 16 CPU Linode and just set up the minimal stuff? So I just installed Whisper on there and just like whatever packages I needed for Whisper, literally nothing else. And then I installed literally Dropbox and what I needed for Dropbox and nothing else. And then synced in my f- podcast files. And just started going and said, running over it. And so with the C- 16 CPU thing on Linode, what I'm seeing is that it works about real time. So it takes about one minute clock time to transcribe one minute of audio. Every 24 hours, it transcribes about 24 hours of show audio. Problem being is um, it ain't super cheap. <laughs> so, um, but I also, I had tried it, when I first tried this, I tried it, I think with a, four CPU. And what I got was it took about four minutes of clock time to do one minute of audio. So, and also the one that I'm using costs four times as much (laughs) as the thing. So it looks like it's going to, if I do it on Linode, it will cost basically the same amount of dollars per minute of audio done, no matter how I do it. Whether if I do it on a giant machine, it'll take half the time and cost twice as much, you know, so it, it kind of is what it is. So, but I think I'm going to let it go for a couple days and then decide what it is, what, you know, where it is. I might uh, just like every day kick off. Uh, I, like the shows, maybe once you get in a dead zone of like five years old and older, I don't know how big a priority it is to me to get all of those. I mean, I do want it done eventually, but I don't know that I need to pay $240 a month to make that happen. So one of the things that's been happening in this house is, uh, you know, we have watched up slow horses about which I'll talk in a few minutes. Um, and then we get to this every time we run out of a show, this is the together couple, uh, nighttime after the kid is in bed show. It's nice when we have one, but they're the modern era. They're kind of finite. So unless we find one that has, you know, 15 seasons, we're watching it and then we're looking for another one. Which is exactly that way with Slow Horses. Slow Horses was that show, and then we watched it up, and now what? And and uh, the taste in the house, the finding the intersection shows is, like, I have a giant list, and my wife has a list of things she would watch. Um, finding ones that we both want to watch at any given time is harder than it seems when you have access to thousands of shows. <laughs> and she has a taste towards the reality show. And she has watched everything of Love is Blind, which is this weird reality show where they take men and women and they each live in separate houses or 
nearby houses, and then they go into these pods where they can talk to each other, but they can't see each other. And they have these conversations. And so it's, you know, almost like an epistolary novel where uh, you haven't met somebody, but you write them letters and you fall in love with them through their words and this kind of thing. And some of the people are douchebags and some of them are shallow and some of them form connections. And then some of them get married and then some of them don't get married. And, and you know, contrived drama contrives from that point forward. And I hate this. <laughs> She's watched all of these. And then also having watched up uh, the U.S., all of the U.S. Love is Blind. Then she went and watched Brazil Love is Blind. I was like, oh, Christ, do we have the whole world to cover one nation at a time? I cannot stand it. And, and, and not it's not that show. It is the entirety of that show. It is when I watch them. You know how I talk about how I can't listen to This American Life anymore because all I hear is their formula of how they do things? Uh, when I watch these shows, all I see is the formula. I get, You see the cut. Oh, you were watching it. And you know if you watch in slow motion, you can say the cut after this is going to be a confessional. The cut after this is going to be all of them in a room talking about what just happened. The cut after this is going to be, you know, somebody's reaction shot. You, you, you can see it, you know, it's, there's, and I just hate the whole thing. Every, like any show that involves a group of people living in a house, I'm out. I don't have to know one more thing about it. So these all, pe- these group of people live in a house. If the competition, if at the show is competing to have a job, if the prize at the end is a job, I don't want, or if the prize at the end, uh, you know, if there is a, if it is a show of attrition, one by one, somebody gets eliminated from the thing. I don't want to watch it. Like, it does not matter what they're doing. It just matters the, you know, the format in itself um, excludes it from anything that I care about. Uh, you know, like every one of my generation, I was uh, glued to the set when the real world came on. <laughs> and I watched it and I was all into the drama of, oh, a person said a thing to somebody else and then somebody said something back. Oh, snap. <laughs> and, but you know what? I I have now developed antibodies to that. I had no antibodies to that in 1994, 1993, whenever that started. And then, you know, similar thing to Road Rules and then the Road Rules real world challenge. That's when I developed the antibodies. Now I can kind of see this whole thing happening. Like, oh, yeah, I don't care about any of this. Um, I want to say real world San Francisco uh, was where it started. And then real world Seattle. Is that the one where the dude slaps the, slaps the one girl? And then because she says, we're never going to work out as a couple because you're clearly gay. And then he slaps her. <laughs> and by the way, the gay was, guy was gay. <laughs> I mean, it was not. <laughs> it was so obvious to everyone. And then the whole everything about the everything is like... Phew. And then I never watched another one. And, and uh, so I'm basically done with that genre. The thing being watched in this house now is love it or list it. It's like, fuck me. <laughs> and love it or list it is exactly that kind of thing. The forced banter. The two people will be driving in the car to meet the couple and they will have forced banter and it will be of a type. And then they will meet the people and they'll walk through and they'll say a thing. And I, what I'd like to do is take two episodes uh, on two different screens and just run them together and see, do the cuts even line up? Like you remember a while ago, there was a, somebody took two Nickelback, whatever that big uh, Nickelback song was. And then another different Nickelback song and put them in the different channels, like one in the right channel, one in the left channel. You can see that those two songs were the same song. 
every <laughs> they had different chords, but like everything that you do, like uh, you know, when you go from the chorus to the bridge and the all, all the stuff and the guitar solo, it was all the same. It wasn't the same notes, but it was the same structure, like down to the millisecond. And I feel like if you take a couple episodes of these shows and run them side by side, you'll see, you know, you do this for seven seconds and then you do this for it just the formula. The only way to amuse myself out of this was love it or listed is weird because like every other show, if you watched uh, while you were out or. What the fuck was that one we had to watch every Saturday night? Oh, Trading Spaces. Also, <laughs> I I have a history of being in the room when a lot of these awful things were uh, being played. But they always made a point of like saying where they were. Loader Listed never, ever says where they are. And so the one thing to keep me interested in watching this is, is figuring out where they were. And I'm watching it, and I think, well... These people they're talking to clearly Canadian. <laughs> like I can hear them talk, and they're clearly Canadian. I'm like okay, so we're in Canada. It's like this does not seem like we're in Vancouver. Uh, so now we, I know the prices of the houses. I know the budgets. I'm like, this seems too cheap for Vancouver. This seems too much for like Winnipeg. So it's like it could be Montreal, could be Toronto. And I'm like, it seems to me more like Toronto. It does not seem francophone enough to me Montreal. I think it's Toronto. And uh, then later, then at some point, I was like, wait a second. These are like clearly Southern people they're talking to. And I was like, hmm. And then I played the whole game all over again. And I'm like, hmm. Uh, I said, this is looking like all the stuff, the way that people talk, the way the prices are, uh, you know, the house prices are, and kind of, you know, the geography, like what they see as they're driving around. I'm like, this could be Charlotte, but it's probably Raleigh. I'm going to say this has got to be in North Carolina. It's got to be either Charlotte, but more likely Raleigh. And then I went looking up and I was like, motherfucker, it's Toronto and Raleigh. I was like, so proud of myself that this stupid game, the one thing that keeps me interested watching this awful show, I was like, actually right on uh, both of them. I kind of hedged on North Carolina. I didn't just commit and say, oh, clearly Raleigh. If it was Charlotte, it wouldn't have shocked me. But I'm like, this seems like Raleigh to me. So anyway. That's the kind of stuff that keeps me interested when I watch these awful shows. Now, while we're talking about shows, the the the, the three shows that, like, in the last year have really lit me up. Like, we've been watching Doom Patrol, frankly, kind of like Preacher. Like, season one of Preacher blew me away, and then every season was, like, less and less. So by season four, I was like, thank God this is over. And Doom Patrol, I am not loving it nearly as much. And Umbrella Academy... Season three did not love it nearly as much as like season ones of all those shows were, I thought, fantastic. And then they just kind of trailed off um, the three shows in the last year that I've really been enthused about slow horses. Absolutely. Both seasons of slow horses blew me away. I'm going to go read the books because uh, I, I am so enthused with this thing is, I think, the best show I've seen in a very long time. Uh, very close second reservation dogs. Both seasons of that I thought were fantastic. Season two was very different because it was almost like the Kiss solo albums. Like most of the episodes in season two picked a character and focused on them and they were less about the group. Um, but very interesting. And people who live on reservations have said that Reservation Dogs actually um, is the most realistic. It feels – obviously it's silly and stupid stuff is happening. But like the feel of it and the way people talk to each other and the way life feels, they said is uh, – 
as realistic a portrayal as has been captured on uh film <laughs> not it's not film but on, you know on video and then the third one I liked is Dark Winds. The guy who plays the cop on Reservation Dogs is the lead in Dark Winds as uh, Joe Leaphorn, uh, a cop in Navajo territory in the seventies. So it was uh, quite interesting. I did it was, like I'd put Dark Winds at the bottom of those three, but it's still uh, quite good and quite watchable. We did also watch a show. Um, now, I'm. This is not a recommendation. This is just a notation. We watched the movie Dog because we saw this on whatever we saw. I this is one of those things with uh, streaming fatigue. Is we watched the movie Dog maybe on Netflix, maybe on Amazon Prime. I don't know what we watched it on HBO Max. I don't know what we watched the movie Dog starring Channing Tatum. This is in no way a good movie. It's not a terrible movie. It's really in the uncanny valley. It's not good enough to like, and it's not bad enough to 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 like, and it's not bad enough to hate. <laughs> It's just kind of blah. It is absolutely a paint by numbers. Like the script, paint by numbers. Everyone in the movie sleepwalks through this movie. It's just, everybody is like, let's get this over with, cash the paycheck, and move on to something better. That's what it feels like from literally every second of uh, everything that's on screen. The, the, to quote Pendulette, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of love in this. <laughs> it's just... Like nothing about it is particularly good. Um, some parts of it are actually kind of heinous, but man, is everyone in this house a sucker for a troubled dog redemption story? <laughs> we in this house, we live in this house because of a troubled dog redemption story. So we're uh, we're marks for that thing. So this is a not good movie. I'm not suggesting it, but it is if you like troubled. Do- it, not if you like if you are moved by troubled dog redemption stories. It is that part of it. Like the dog is the best actor in the movie by far. <laughs> Everyone else, every human can go to hell. The dog is the dog is the appeal here. And uh, dogs are the appeal to me. With that, I'm going to take a sip. Mm. Oh, this is yesterday's coffee. Thank you, microwave. And remember what I was talking about the setup? Setup takes so long that my coffee's cold. Um, uh, Mister <laughs> has a master's degree. <laughs> Finally figured out. Hey, I know. You get everything set up, and then before you start recording, go heat up your coffee so that it's maximally warm. <laughs> Instead of heating it up, setting up for an hour, and then drinking room temperature coffee. Boing, 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 boing. <sighs> I finally got so tired of fighting pipe wire. You remember me saying how uh, on a previous shows I said, "Oh, I think I've solved the clipping," and you can hear the clipping. And I thought, oh, I think I've solved the clipping. This microphone, which has worked fine for years on this laptop, and then worked okay for you know a year with PipeWire, then like six weeks ago, clips. And I cannot figure out why not. I can't make it stop doing it, and I don't know what's different. I finally had to get my old Griffin PowerWave out, plug it into that, plug the XLR into the Griffin PowerWave, and now I can finally do something. It doesn't clip. It's also too quiet. Hopefully, Alphonic can you know level everything out and make it not ridiculous. But oh Jesus, it's just if it's not one thing, it's another thing. So at the point where I'm recording this, um, this has really been all over Mastodon. That's pretty much the only thing I look at. I don't look at Facebook. I don't look at Twitter. But um, 
every morning when I listen to uh, Wall Street Breakfast from Seeking Alpha, another big tech company is announcing layoffs in the five figures, you know, like 10,000, 12,000, you know, uh, and we're talking what are, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, I forget which others, Twitter obviously has shed like half their workforce. Uh, and it's one of these things where, so specifically for me, right? I changed jobs close to a year ago. So a year ago, like this time last year, I was actively looking for a new job for intermittent periods for the last 10 years, Google recruiters reach out to me, say, Hey, are you interested in, especially after um, my job title became developer relations, um, that actually radically increased the uh, pace of hiring because I because th- there are fewer um, there are few people uh, in the DevRel field you know they're they're more rare. I think it's harder to find a DevRel person because there are you know however many million uh, software engineers and there are thousands. There are probably not ten thousand people in DevRel. There are probably two thousand people in DevRel. I mean it's it's not a huge field. So when you have an opening for that, it's, it's, you know, more of a, it, it's a smaller, much smaller pool. Google has been reaching out to me about DevRel for five years at least. And I never wanted to work at Google. Uh, I know people that work at Google. They seem to like it just fine, but it seemed meat grindery to me. It seems like you would have weird, uh, goals. <laughs> it seems like you're, uh, it seems like your annual review would be weird. It just, everything seems like it would be weird. It seems like it'd be unpleasant and stressful, uh, you know, extreme. Hey, we need only the most extreme. It seemed like a Cheetos and Mountain Dew all nightery. I don't know. Maybe it's not like that. This is literally, I don't have information like this. This is just my stereotype. This is my, uh, this is just my prejudice towards what life would be like if I worked for Google. But also, um, when it was announced this last week that Google is laying off 12,000 people, like out of nowhere, uh, it's, oh, by the way, we're going to lay off 12,000 people. What are the odds I wouldn't have been one of those people <laughs> if I had been hired, you know, in the last two years for, you know, DevRel? I'm going to think that those are some of the more cuttable positions. Now, <clears throat> the thing about all of these, um, all these companies that are shedding uh, workers, every single one of them, uh, is healthy, making great profits, and has a shitload of money in the bank. Like, has so much money that they could pay the salaries of the workers that they're cutting uh, f- for years, if not decades, you know, just with what's the cash already on hand. We're not talking about future profits. We're talking about what's already in the bank. So there is no danger of any of them being impacted in any short-term uh, any short-term downturn like if the economy slows down they're not going to be uh in trouble none of these companies are even close to in trouble and yet they're just dumping people overboard this is a couple weeks ago like january 1st i did a show about quiet quitting and the asymmetry of uh your job and you well shit dogs (laughs) this is that this is exactly that so Yes, they want you to show up and be loyal and do all the stuff, and they don't want you to quiet quit. And, oh, by the way, 12,000 of you chosen semi at random, get the fuck out. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so now, uh, and, and 
it seems to me like the only rationale you can say is, oh, we feel like a recession is coming. We feel like a recession is coming. So we're going to take across all of these companies, 100,000 workers and put them on the street. Well, guess what you got now? You got a fucking recession because you just made it happen by firing people. Jesus Christ. I like macroeconomics. The the more I learn about MMT, the more I hate the way uh, we do macroeconomics. It's so absurd. The whole notion of, oh, inflation is high. Let's raise interest rates, put people out of work, slow everything down to bring interest rates down. Let's intentionally cause misery because it's the only tool we have to address uh, uh, inflation. <sighs> Jesus Christ. It is it is maddening. So I'm not nearly as studied in any of this stuff uh, as I should be. Well, there's finite time, but uh, everything I learned about MMT t- suggests to me, uh, I don't can't tell you for a fact, but it sure seems like it would fix a lot of these, this mess. You know, the, the idea of being um, unwillingly unemployed. So unemployed against your will, like you're looking for a job, but you can't find one. Well, guess what? We will give you one for as long as you need it. And when you find another different one, you can move out of the government supply job back into the private sector. But you don't have to be sitting there burning your savings uh, waiting for a job uh, because because we're not about that. We're not about human misery. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about the political stuff, but there is absolutely a group of people who are about human misery. And that's all they're about. And oh, my fucking God. I. I'm just going to let it sit, but boy, I, I mean, I, I'm in my mid fifties and I don't know that I have ever been as scared of where things are heading. I'm more scared now than I was in 2017. It really, uh, it seems bad. I don't know. I don't know what to do about it. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure what there is to do. There should, I, I, I don't know. I'm just scared. I'm scared today. Now. <sighs> But anyway, let's talk about bullshit <laughs> as long as we can until somebody forcibly, uh, I don't know, puts us all in camps for talking about bullshit. I don't know. Um, on Mastodon, uh, I posted, I made this post the other day. I still, I'm not going to call them the T word. I'm gonna, just going to call them posts. Uh, I made this post the other day about how um, Mastodon does a lot of things great. Uh, across the Fediverse, what it can't do is fix the broken part of me that looks every 45 seconds to see if there are positive interactions on my things. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, something only I can fix and possibly a uh, trained uh, therapist. Um, one of the things I, I realize when I have problems on any social media, Mastodon or any social media, I realize that I, I finally, after almost 20 years of these kinds of interactions. I think I've toned, I've figured it out. So, you know, I talk about on Facebook, I have more, I have more people blocked than I have friended. And those people are always like friends of friends. They're people I don't have a direct relationship with. I have never once blocked a person who was my friend and then went to block. They're always like the hangers on, uh, you know, I come on a friend's post and then they have something shitty to say to me, but I don't, I don't know them and I block them. It is, it's the third parties. It's the, I always call them the drive-bys. It's the people who have no previous uh, engagement in you. Those are that's always where the problems seem to lie. 
when there's harassment on Twitter, the, it, you, you know, it's not the people that you already engage with. It's drive-bys who come by, either uh, are spurred or you say something and then somebody, uh, you know, prompts them, say, oh, look at this person. And then you get a flood of people harassing you. I think what I am going to do just for myself is I am not going to leave comments. Like if somebody boosts something and I see something that I don't have a direct engagement with this person, I'm going to not comment on anything of that form anymore. I am not, because I'm not going to be the drive by. And then I had some people, I posted something and I think because of the hashtag people were finding stuff and I made a post where I said, I'm kind of haphazardly using Mastodon because because of the activity pub, right? I, my blog is flowing to Mastodon. And I also started with Bookworm. I talked about that last time. And all these things are like flowing to my Mastodon account. And I don't really have a strategy how to integrate them. I'm just sort of randomly poking shit and just seeing what happens. And I said, I have no master vision. I don't know what to do. And then somebody left me this uh, comment. It's like, well, it's on you to figure out what to do. I'm like, did you literally just rest- mansplain and restate to me exactly what I just said was the problem? It's like, and I thought about one of these, um, I thought about, you know, an umbrage filled, did you really just, you know, and then I thought, what if I, and I also considered, briefly considered, and I didn't do it, blo- blocking them. I was like, this doesn't seem like a blocking offense, but also, how about I just don't respond to them and don't care? <laughs> that also, I mean, that's in the range of, possibility here is to not respond to them and then but that was like within 24 hours of me leaving a comment on somebody uh, somebody was talking about wanting why is there no hashtag for something i said well just create the hashtag why don't you create the hashtag no one control that and then somebody left me one of those umbrage filled uh, things like thank you for explaining to me how it works i've been on this for 15 years and i'm like but you're the one saying you have the problem and the, there have been uh, maybe in the last week i've seen multiple people um Talking in the form of, I want anything to happen, but I don't think, I don't know that anybody will, I don't know that it will get uptake, or I don't know that anybody will care, or I don't know that it will succeed. Like, not one, not two, probably like five or ten different people that I follow have had some, or people that they have boosted, have something to say that format. And this might, this is probably my white male dude privilege, but I never understand, like, that whole hand-wringy, it feels to me the same as the imposter syndrome business, which is what if I do this thing and nobody cares? I'm like, dude, do you know how many things I've done that literally nobody cares about? That's always a possibility. If that's going to keep you from doing the thing, like if you're only going to do it, if you're guaranteed success, don't do the thing. Then it's not the thing for you to do. I it's, I mean, it's kind of harsh, but it's like reality. If, if, if you're not, if it's not fun enough for you to do, even if nobody cares and nobody ever uh, joins on, then it's not worth doing. Don't do the thing. So somebody, you know, uh, you know, last show I talked about trying to create that coastal SC tech hashtag. I don't know that anybody has used it. I'm going to keep throwing <laughs> that out there and see if I can get some uptake. There is no guarantee that anybody will ever use it. That's, I mean. <sighs> So why isn't there a hashtag? Because nobody made it happen. That's why there isn't a hashtag. And I said, we'll make it happen. And then they say, well, I know how hashtags happen. I'm like, why did you post that other thing then? If you know how they happen, why did you post about asking why they didn't happen? I, it, it perplexes me. But also, I don't have any investment in that person. So I just stopped talking. The, the waste protocol. Why am I still talking?
Um, and so I think I'm just going to not, I'm going to minimize um, my interactions with anybody uh, on anything that I don't follow, that don't follow me, that I don't have an investment in. Uh, I'm just not going to comment on things. I'm just going to, just going to let it drop. <laughs> Let's see. But the other thing is the, the, the umbrage will reply to me always feels like when you watch those stupid, stupid, and they are very stupid, Judge Judy, Judge Mathis, my favorite, the only one I ever liked was like Judge uh, Joe Brown, or not Joe Brown, Judge Mills Lane, the, guy, the celebrity match. Occasionally, if there was like a young person, they'd ask if he, he would ask them uh, if they ever watched Celebrity Deathmatch on MTV. He's like, you, you like that bald guy on there, huh? And so that was funny, but you know, I read his autobiography. I have his autobiography in this house. You know, he was both a boxing ref and a judge and you know, he was an interesting cat. And I always liked him cause he was so brass tacks. Uh, all those shows are all about the, um, weepy story. They did all this and it made me feel bad. And, uh, they were disrespecting me and blah, 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 blah. It's like, there is no monetary value you can put on disrespect. What did it cost you to replace the window that they broke? <laughs> What did it cost you to get the damage to your car fixed? What did it, what receipts do you have for actual anything? Because we can't just say, oh, your feelings were hurt. There, here's a thousand dollars. That doesn't, that's not how it works. So, and he was always completely brass tacks about that. He's like, I don't want to hear the weepy stuff, probably to the detriment of his TV show, because Judge Judy's all about the weepy stuff. And by the way, Judge Judy Shadlin is worth a billion dollars. So owns owns the show and is worth a billion dollars. So probably there's more money in the weepy stuff. <laughs> but uh, I when people ha- give those umbrage replies, well, why would you say that to me? Like it's the same thing to me. It's like we don't need the umbrage. Just get down to brass tacks. What is it you want? How can I help? What help do you want? Who can help? You know, I I don't care about the. <sighs> I mean, I did care slightly. I cared slightly when it was me on the other end of it. Let's not be, I, I had my a moment. I was like, why would you say that to me? Don't you know, you just repeated back what I originally posted. Not, a, and then I started to reply. And I thought, I don't even want to, I don't even want the next step. Like if I say, why are you mansplaining to me? Uh, like I don't want to hear what they have to say to that. Well, so why would I even, why would I even take the next step of a conversation that I don't, want to have that i don't care about so that's that so hopefully um i will find that my usage of mastodon at all all the activity pub uh things um will be healthier not necessarily i mean there's this whole thing about quote tweeting and how it leads to abuse and etc etc and it really seems to me like and, and one of the things that we were about is um Offering a uh, way for people to say, where can I find a server where I won't find harassment? Where can I find a harassment, a low harassment server when I join uh, Mastodon? And we were talking about uh, creating a directory of such a thing. And people were like, well, if we do that, then the harassers just know where to find us. I'm like, Jesus Christ, you cannot, uh, like, if you start thinking like that, then the bad actors won without doing one thing. If you, if you are unwilling to publish a resource to help people because you're afraid the bad people will use that resource to target them, then you can't help people. <laughs> like it, it, that's, that's a, that's a endless no win thing. Like I'm sure in, you know, 1950, 
um, you know, when they were publishing the green books, I'm sure there were people saying, you just published uh, a directory to the Ku Klux Klan of telling us where to burn you know, the places to burn down. You know, the, when you publish, these are places that are safe for black people to eat at around the country <laughs> or, uh, you know, hotels where they won't be harassed that you've created a directory for bad people to find these places. But the alternative is to not help anybody. So is it better to avoid the help because there is a hypothetical bad on the other side of it when there is a tangible good on the front side of it? That seems like a terrible trade-off to me. I don't know, but it just seems just seems terrible to me. Um, one of the things that um, around this conversation is uh, the term sea lioning, which I didn't realize. Uh, I, I don't think I'd ever heard that before a week ago. Oh, they're just sea lioning. And it's uh, you know, a person like, well, can you prove that there's a pro- you know, prove this thing? They were asking people for proof of something. And I didn't even know what that was. And I looked it up. Turns out Dave Malky, who I used to back on, uh, used to listen to, uh, he and Chris Straub did a uh, interesting podcast called Tweet Me Harder. And he's the guy who does the Wondermark cartoon. And I met the guy. He was at Heroes Con one year. And I met him. And I have a signed Wondermark book somewhere in this house. Um, and he did a uh, cartoon. I will link it in the show notes. He did a cartoon about a sea lion that just somebody says something bad about sea lions. And then the sea lion is just around them all the time, wanting them to prove every assertion they made about sea lions. And I'm like, oh, that's actually a good term that I didn't realize. It's the person who wants to wear you down by making you prove every little thing about every little thing you say. Um, it's basically like a denial of discourse attack. And so I'll, I'll put that one in the, uh, I'll put that one in the, um, the quiver, <laughs> the quiver or the tool- toolbox. I came very close earlier in the show to saying, uh, it's like a different arrow in the toolbox, <laughs> which is kind of a Norm Crosby ish, uh, uh, malaprop or a different tool in the quiver or something like that. And now it is time for something that we call the reading of the patrons. The following people went to bit.ly, bit.ly slash EGC Patreon and pledged to support to keep the shambling mess shambling. Thank you to the following people. Derek Coward, Adam Rittenauer, Ken Kennedy, Paul Fisher, R. Hooley, Robert Harvey, Paul Smith, Andrew Heron, Grant Bachoco, Tony Ewing, Craig Stepp, Paul Reynolds, Shannon Nelson, Charlotte Kennedy, Leah, the Enigmagic Angela Lee, Chuck Tomasi, Stuart Maxwell, Michael Butler, Bruce Lerner, Skeeter Murphy, Robert Gibson, Len Edgerly, Melissa A. Bartell, Andrew Howe, Michael Street, Neil Forker, Dyko, Kevin Freedy, Brian Springer, Tim Shaw, Rob Usden, John Gehring, Wayne Pittenger, Brian Jones, Joe Pollock, Jeff Dangle, J.P. Shippard, Steve Holden, Brian Hogan, and last but not least, patrons in exile, Nutty Nukchas and Eric Peterson. Thank you, one and all, for your support. Again, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash E-G-C Patreon. And with that, let us kill the music. So, I believe, uh, I feel like it's at a show. So, thank you for listening. As always, you can reach me a variety of ways. Email me, Dave, at evilgschronicles.org. You can subscribe via Mastodon. You subscribe to the show, David Evil Genius Chronicles dot org. That will work. It seems crazy, but it will work. Um, you can uh, Mastodon me at Henio Diabolico at Mastodon dot lol. That will work too. 
Um, and the show notes will be up at evilgeniuschronicles.org. Uh, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your attention. I appreciate the nice things uh, people say. Uh, I don't have the gentleman's name to hand, but a dude published a list of like podcasts he enjoyed in 2022, and uh, Steve Holden had recommended him to me, and uh, he had very nice things to say about the show. What's the guy's name? Matt. Matt Beckwith. Thank you, Matt Beckwith. I appreciate that. It was a very nice gesture, and it was a very nice gesture reaching out to let me know that uh, uh, just to point me at the uh, point me at your uh, at your blog post of uh, things I enjoyed listening to last year. I am uh, delighted to be on that list. I'm delighted that anybody gets any value out of this horseshit that I bring to you. Um, I don't know if you noticed. I'm trying to be more regular. One of the things about going back through and assembling the um, the, you know, like getting the show notes and all the artifacts of the transcripts uh, in shape is realizing the places where they're very long gaps, like <laughs> months long gaps of no show. It's kind of how it goes uh, out here in the podcasting game, but I'm trying to be better. Thank you for listening. I will catch you again next time. And do not forget, as you try your best to deal with uh, whatever horseshit you're dealing with in life and protecting yourself from whatever you need to protect yourself, remember that I love you. Goodbye. <clears throat> and I thought, oh, I think I've solved the clipping. I cannot. The, the, this microwave, which <coughs> I highly echo. <coughs> when that's when over, if we're still, still alive, alive, I'll clean my own fucking mess up. <laughs> <laughs>